this is Yolando. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. And this is Kate, the Yeti Pastor. As always, we're talking about what astonishes us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching about. So, Hinton, what astonishes you? Right now, I'm astonished by your voice. Well, that is too darn bad because that is what I am going to be astonished by, that even though I have no voice, you offered to postpone the podcast and I was like, what? Pass an opportunity to talk? No, thank you. You said, are you going to give up the, you know, are you going to have someone preach for you this Sunday? And I was like, uh, no. Anyway, so yes, I am a Yeti and yet still I carry on warrior. Yes. So can I be astonished by two things today? Yes, because I literally have nothing else. Oh, very good. Well, first, I'm astonished by our five-year-old Matthew this morning. We're going outside to get in the car to go to school, and it's snowing where we live. And uh, I said, Matthew, look at the snow. And he said, Daddy, is it Christmas? (laughs) No, it's not Christmas. It's not Christmas. But what I'm really astonished by uh, today is uh, today is Equal Pay Day. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and I, I I I heard that this morning. I am astonished you're bringing that up. Well, <laughs> and, and I did not realize that the reason it's this day, because this day symbolizes the number of extra days women yep. have to work in the year to equal the pay of men, right? Yes. Um, and I'm immediately, of course, because we do this work, we do this right. ministry work, uh, the first thing my mind went to when I heard that it was Equal Pay Day was women in ministry. And the um, the reality, and we talked about this, you mentioned this this morning, that in this work, in this ministry, there are people who say, we don't even think women should be pastors, much less have a conversation about equal pay. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't help but be reminded of, you know, all of the women who have been um, helpful uh, to me in ministry and in life in general, um, from uh, teachers to colleagues and um, yeah, I, I just, I'm just astonished that we're that we need to have a conversation about equal. You know, I um, we were talking earlier that on Sunday, and I had very little voice, and I because it fit with the kind of setup to the point I wanted to make in the sermon. I I was talking about being a woman in ministry, which I rarely do because you know I am one, so I don't need to preach about it, right? Um, but I was saying like it's ironic to talk about being a woman in ministry on the one Sunday when I. Actually, don't sound like a woman, but I, um, you know, I, I just think it's really interesting how sometimes in or often in the church we are afraid to be an alternative reality. And so, so often, you know, the reason that people don't quote believe in women in ministry is because the culture doesn't believe in women in leadership positions. And the issue with these things are myriad, but one, we understand leadership very differently in the church than in the culture. Mm-hmm. Two, you know, Bible, um, un, 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 uh, unfortunate little passages like, in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any yes. Jew, Greek, slave, free, I male, or female. My, I will pour out my spirit on, on all, all flesh. flesh. Yes, men and women will prophesy. Um, and, you know, lastly, and I ran up against this recently, I was reading somebody, I can't even remember to who, but some reflection on uh, 
you know, Holy Week reflection on the disciples deserting Jesus and how often it's such a trope to say that all of his friends abandoned Jesus and everyone denied and everyone betrayed. And the reality is everyone didn't, that the women did stay and were faithful and, you know, first at the tomb and first apostle and all these sort of, but like that they're not everyone, right? Because everyone is what the culture considers everyone, which is men, right? Yeah. And so it's just an interesting thing because I, I get it and I've had it explained to me in a very loving way that like in the church, the most important thing is to make disciples. And so the church needs to be whatever it needs to be in order to have um, currency in the culture. And since men just can't follow women, wow. women can't lead wow. churches because you don't want those men, you know, you don't want to be a stumbling block to those men accepting the gospel. They're going to burn in hell eternally just because your ego required that you... And the problem with that is the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God, and it's not a hierarchy, patriarchy like the culture is. And if what we have to do to make the gospel accessible to the culture is basically empty it of all of its distinctiveness, then you know we have it. We've just turned the church into a spiritual Disneyland with Jesus as our mascot instead of actually embodying the body of Christ and the values of the kingdom and you know that's so wow. it's a it's a it's a continual reality but you know the work is there i think for me that i, I um and for you i mean we have these communities that have so lovingly and astonishingly invited us to serve as pastors and so it doesn't really matter what the world calls us yeah. or how the world values us we have this sphere of influence and this work to do, and it's a gift and a privilege and an honor, and so we do it. <laughs> yeah, well, um, as I was driving in this morning thinking about Equal Pay Day and women in ministry, um, I became filled with a, just a sense of gratitude for women who uh, endure and lead in this work. And so, um, just started thinking about specific people in my life um, and would love to name some of them, uh, like Devere Ramsey, who was a professor at uh, Bethel University, Bethel College then, where I did my undergraduate work. Um, Mitzi Miner, who is a professor of New Testament at Memphis Theological Seminary. Johanna Boss, uh, who uh, was a professor of Old Testament at Louisville Seminary. Uh, I'm mindful of a group of, of women uh, clergy in uh, Nashville uh, when I was going through a really hard time in ministry um, just emotionally difficult um, they were the folks who invited me to their their Friday night gathering in someone's mm-hmm. home and it was it was all women and but they they welcomed me and uh, they really helped me get through a hard time and so I'm just grateful for uh, women in ministry who um, endure and persevere as as they uh, face uh, some headwinds that I don't have to in yeah. ministry. And I think just two things about that. Like in Eugene Peterson's autobiography, autobiography, the pastor, um, there's at one point he talks about that as the as the difference and distinction between the kingdom of God and the culture grows wider and mm-hmm. wider, 
more, and, and it's just no longer possible to be powerful and influential in the church in the same way mm. that it used to be in American culture. And he just talks about more and more men leaving the pastorate to do more, you know, culturally valuable things. And he talks about how the people who are still stepping up and honored and humbled and excited to do the work mm. of of pastoring and leading churches and evangelism and helping people meet Christ are are women yeah. and are people of color yeah. and are people yeah. who who have long discovered that those tables aren't always open to them or that even if they're that those aren't the tables they want to sit at, right? Mm. And so mm. to be able to say, hey, here's another here's another realm, another kingdom with values that that actually are to me eternal and surpassing. And so this is the sphere I want to work in. Um, And so I just think that's really interesting. And I think, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but one of the things that I always thought, I mean, it's just such an egotistical thing to be like, hey, let's make a podcast of our conversations, right? But I mean, one of the things that we've talked about that is interesting in some of the worlds that we come from is, I mean, to have a friendship between um, uh, you know, two pastors, but also a male pastor and a female pastor, and to be able to have this model to the world that like we can know one another first as people and as disciples. And I mean, obviously, you know, gender is a part of who I am and a part of who you are, but that it is possible in the body of Christ for people to be sister and brother, for people to be friends. Yes, and yes. too often in the church, we don't we don't talk about that. And we teach women and men that they need, you know, there's only one kind of relationship that's possible. And that then if you're not, you know, married, you need to be separated and protected from yes. one for another. And I'm all about having, you know, life groups or discipleship groups that are single gender. Like there's a place for that. But I also feel like in the church, we ought to be leading the way and modeling a kind of community where men and women can meet one another as human. Yeah, and can, that is a kingdom value. That is a kingdom value because in Christ Jesus, there is no longer, right? So yeah. I, I mean, I do feel like that's a really important thing. And Absolutely. Uh, well, um, one of the things that I grew up with and my mom used to say this to us all the time, I'm one of three girls and my dad, both my parents are lawyers. Um, but one of the things my mom always used to say to us was how much she valued the fact that my dad had a lot of female friends. Mm. And she said, you know, I like that your father likes women, mm. that he enjoys yeah. their you know, humanity that she said, you know, you, that's what you want. You want to find a partner who likes women, not just as a romantic, but, you know, but as humans, because that's not a, that's not something to be scared of. That's not a disadvantage. That's something to celebrate. Um, And so that has always really formed my understanding and I've been really grateful. And I think it's sad that sometimes, you know, that, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's why the whole like Mike Pence thing is heartbreaking to me is to sort of say like, in order to take Jesus really, really seriously, you need to put a hedge between men and women Mm -hmm. and that that's a sign of virtue that you won't allow yourself to be alone in the room with a woman and and just all the really harmful death dealing lies that that perpetuates. Yeah. I'm reminded of that story where Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee Mm -hmm. and a woman comes in and she anoints him. And uh, the Pharisee is thinking, well, if he knew what kind of woman this was that was touching him, if he were Mm -hmm. really a prophet and uh, Jesus addresses that, right? So yes, this is a kingdom value. And you're right. We should uh, do a better job of modeling this as the Mm -hmm. church. Well, and we have this great terminology 
Um, and I think it gets kind of debased in kind of a cheesy, gross way. Mm. But I mean, we are taught to know one another as sister and brother, right? And so that's just yes. a whole different way. And, you know, in the at the church, we've done a whole sermon series on kinship. And I don't ever think we got as far as I wanted to in this. But part of it is this idea that, like, you know, I think men tend to think of other men as friends and women tend to think as other women as friends. And then you have romantic partnerships or you have fam- familial you know, biological familial connections, but there's this whole other realm yeah. of a way to relate to people as kin, yeah. as brother and sister. And it's this friendship that has a deeper tie and just yeah. this whole different that's way of good. seeing one another. Anyway, yeah. that's me having nothing to be astonished about. So <laughs> what are you thinking about? I am thinking about um, this ministry that we oh, have yeah. had going uh, since last October. Yeah. And, um, one of our members, one of our elders, got the idea from a ministry, Jamie Torres Ministries in Morganton. And what we do is we go to our local grocery store. We get about 50, 75, sometimes 100 loaves of bread, fresh bread, good bread. And uh, on the back end of the bread, we put a label that says Jesus is the bread of life and um, our church name and address. And then we hit the streets in our neighborhood. We walk from house to house. We knock on doors. Uh, Sometimes we um, stand in front of stores and restaurants when they allow us to. And we just give away uh, these loaves of bread, saying that they are a gift from Jesus, uh, who is the bread of life. And uh, often we do not even give people the name of our church. We do it in the name of Jesus because our mindset is that we want to promote Jesus and not necessarily the church. And, but if people ask, we'll give them the name of the church. And we just assume that at some point they'll look at the label and see the name of the church. And so that's secondary. Um, and uh, if someone accepts a loaf of bread from us, we then ask if there's any way we could pray for them. And then we pray. And so we've been doing this again since October. And it's just been amazing. However, last week, uh, we were going through one of the neighborhoods in our community and... Um, Someone posted on uh, Nextdoor that there is a uh, black man, that would be me, a white wom- and a white woman, one of our elders, uh, going through the neighborhood, uh, giving away loaves of bread. And this post said, they say they want to talk about the Lord, but we think the bread is poison. Don't take it. So that was uh, posted. And that has caused some in our church to really become very anxious. You know, oh no, the neighborhood is saying bad things about us. But I see it as a wonderful gift and opportunity um, because we know that, you know, okay, yes, negative words spread fast, but it's beautiful to see people in the neighborhood say, well, no, 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 no. These people are from such and such church. I've received the bread. It's wonderful. It's good. Uh, And we will post something to address it um, ourselves, but it's good to see people in the neighborhood um, uh, speak up for us. And we have these wonderful stories. Uh, Last week, we knocked on a door, and uh, the woman who answered, uh, she was so happy that we dropped by. She said, you know, I'm in town um, visiting. Um, I was feeding the grandkids, and I was making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and we just ran out of bread. You guys are just in time. This must be the Lord. Thank you. Um, We knocked on the door of a couple that had just had an argument. They were talking about divorce, and 
um, they were so happy that we prayed for them and prayed for them. They gathered the kids and said, let's pray. And um, that w- it was beautiful. And so we just feel like the Lord is really doing a great work uh, in these six to eight, sometimes 10 people that show up to do this every month. Because uh, it's it huge for us, right? Because when I yeah. got there, people said, whatever you do, do not ask us to knock on doors. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it because, um, you know, at church, we are a spiritual institution. Absolutely. And so, I, I mean, I, I think it's difficult, it's hard, and it's a sign that will be misinterpreted or mocked, both within the religious establishment and in, and in the secular culture. But I think just to go to people and say, I'm creating an opportunity to be spiritually present to you. Um, I'm going way far outside my comfort zone just because I have this foolish belief that the Holy Spirit is, you know, alive and at work yeah. and that you, this church is for this neighborhood. And so one re- way to be for and in this neighborhood is to really walk out and say, hey, I, you know, we're the church around the corner yes. and you're our neighbors. And so I'm not trying to shove anything down your throat. I'm not trying to say, come be part of our ministry. What can yep. you give? I'm just saying like, maybe you would like someone to pray for you. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe this is a divine appointment. And I... I mean, I think it's really, really great. And I, I think, you know, we were talking earlier about the texts we're preaching, and I think it, you know, the the fact that there, I mean, that we live in a time where there's so much um, hostility and suspicion and mistrust, and sure. there's so much enmity, sometimes well-founded enmity um, between the African-American and the white community, and then so much just ugly racial heritage between the white, you know, just the reality of it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be a person of color walking around, you know, ringing on doorbells. But also, in the kingdom of God, you know, the church— I mean, I like this quote. I'm sure I've said it before, that, like, Paul didn't go out and start a Jewish church on this corner and a Gentile church on that corner, right? Like, part of our witness is we're reconciled in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have to be willing to be that sign and to invite people into it. And, you know, I think it's important to be— for me, in a neighborhood church where just anybody can wander in, right? Yes. Like you don't have to be invited yes. to this home church where you have to know mm-hmm. someone literally mm-hmm. to get in. But I also think it's important that we don't just sit in our buildings and wait for people, or we don't Absolutely. just do things that feel comfortable. Like mm-hmm. even a community meal is a lot of work, but it's comfortable because mm-hmm. you're kind of in charge and you're serving people. Mm-hmm. But to be vulnerable and go out and just say, you know, I'd like to meet you, and I don't know what kind of response I'm going to get, but I'm I'm around. And I, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of. Um, respect for Jehovah's Witnesses, for the Mormon church, you know, I'm very different theologically, but just the idea of wanting to say, like, I'm going to go meet people where they are. Um, I I just... And the risk you take in doing that. And just that, mainly because you just can't feel sophisticated or safe in this culture doing that work. And so, you know, but to me, and then I read the gospel and go, well, where did I get the idea that I was supposed to feel sophisticated or safe. So I think it's beautiful. One of the things that happens is that we, we stand in the parking lot of our church and we pray before we go out. And when the person, usually I think it's one of our elders, leads the prayer, it's short, it's simple, but it's powerful. Yeah. Lord, help us. Because yeah. this is this is out of our comfort zone. Yep. Lord, protect us because we're a little bit afraid. Yep. We're going to do this thing. And our mentality is, 
We're doing this simply to bless the community in the name of Jesus because so often churches, especially churches our size of less than 100, we can give off this vibe of please come to our church, please help us save our church. Right, right. right. Instead of seeing ourselves as instruments of the almighty God who who has all power right. and blessing and, and just being instruments, conduits for well, God's blessing. And what what is sort of really poignant and heartbreaking to me about the post on Nextdoor, because I'm not really, really offended at the idea of the average American being suspicious. Uh, I mean, yeah. like, I'm not surprised, you know, whatever. But the fact that the person says, you know, they say they're here for the Lord, I mean, that suggests to me that this is a person who... Is, is trying to be in relationship with Jesus. And so mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, this is still, you know, something of suspicion mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. someone who is seems as though they're trying to, you know, be a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, that's heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not surprising, but heartbreaking. Sure. So, yeah. All right. So what are you preaching? No, uh, what are you thinking about? I'm yeah. sorry. I skipped you. you. Know, I'm you sorry, skip me. sorry. You skipped me, man. Um, so I, it's been a really... Um, big week at the church, a, a lot of things going on in people's lives. Um, we had a, um, a family in the church um, whose house burned down on mm, yeah. Thursday, Thursday night, I think. And, um, you know, and it was terrible and tragic. And also they survived. Their oldest son saved them. Wow. Um, so anyway, I'm grateful for that. And the church is rallying around them in really beautiful ways. And, um, I'm working on figuring out how to be their pastor and not mm. trying to be Jesus, you know, mm. <laughs> um, what those limits are, you know, between um, really showing up for people, yeah. um, but also not being over, mm-hmm. whatever, finding that space. Um, but the other thing that I just am really, I'm thinking a lot about, there's an, another member of the congregation, and both these people are friends, and um, th- this guy um, has, has a significant operation mm. coming up, um, the kind of thing where you can't just like go away and come back and no one knows you're gone. And so, um, you know, it was talking about like, you know, how do you tell the church and mm. sort of you want to tell your community, you need to tell your community, but also sometimes people's responses, even when they're trying to be loving are just not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, like people, you know, because everybody is wounded and everybody's human and sometimes your own pain or fear or need to, mm. be, you know, think the thing, you know, can get in the way. And so E and I talked some about that um, and just talked about, you know, most people, oftentimes people aren't helpful, but they usually sincerely want to be helpful. So one thing, if you can, if you have the luxury of being able, you know, you don't usually have the luxury of thinking about how you want to share information like my house burned down, but you might have the luxury of thinking about how you want to share the information that I have this significant um, medical event coming up. And, um, so just say, like, you know, think about what would be loving for you. Like, what kind of response would feel like love for you? And what wouldn't? And then it would be a real gift as you share this with the community to just share that, to say, I'm telling you this, and I, I know it's unexpected, and it's taken me a while to, yeah. you know, wrap my head around it, too, and I know that you love me, and you're going to want to love me. Let me just tell you, um, here are some things that would bring me joy and comfort. That's and good. here are some things that really wouldn't. Mm. And um, and so so he did. He wrote this really beautiful post on social media. Um, and, and one thing he shared, which was great, was to say, um, you know, you probably, 
you know, know a lot of people or have stories of someone who's been through a similar medical condition, please don't share them with me. Like Mm. that doesn't feel good. Please don't do that. Um, and also he shared that article, um, that I think everybody knows, but I guess not about how, like, if someone's going through some sort of a crisis, you know, you dump care in and you vent out. And he just literally linked that article and said, like, this is really helpful. So if you have feelings of, like, grief and fear about what I'm going through, like, that's real. And you should, you know, you should find someone to talk to about that. But please don't, please don't let that be me or my family like that, you know? And so I just, I love that. Right. So, so beautiful because, um, so that was great. And then the the last thing that he said, which was great. Um, he's just talked about, you know, like this isn't happening for a while. And so I don't, we don't really need anything right now, but, um, I know you're going to want to do something because I've been in your shoes, you know, you hear something, you want to do something. And so he's just a really fun, joyful person, big Bob Goff fan. And so I, we sort of talk jokingly about it. It would be fun to just have people like play pranks on one another. Like that just would make you laugh and smile. And so he literally did. He said, like, if you want to do something, here's my idea, you know, benign pranks, like just play a lighthearted, non-destructive, (laughs) glitter-free prank on someone. Um, The the terrifying thing about that is he said, I I came up with this idea talking with my friend and pastor. So he linked me in it. So so he's like, if you want to start with her, that's great. Um, But I just... Um, what I love about that is, um, just what a great healthy model that is. And not that it's anybody's job when they're going through something to be teaching or to be building up. I mean, you're just allowed to go through something, right? It doesn't have to be used for the kingdom, right? Like just bad things happen to disciples. And, you know, I believe that God is faithful and I believe that God uses them for good, but I don't believe that we have to sort of pretend to be unhuman and super spiritual. You can just go through it. But, um, you know, I I think he he did sincerely not feel like he had to, but wanted to do. And he was just beautiful. And I can just see not only is this really wonderful, I hope, for him, because he's getting more help that feels helpful as opposed to people who really love him but would unintentionally you know, increase his burden. So that was great by just that kind of clear communication. But I also think it helps people know just in general for the next time, like, oh, this is great. And I think it's just a great example of sometimes for me as a pastor, because I've had this great privilege of going to seminary and, you know, I can sit around all day and read books about God and think about things that there are just things that, that are common knowledge to me Mm. that I assume everybody knows like care in, vent out, or I assume that everybody knows that it's not helpful when someone gets a diagnosis for you to suggest like, well, I'm just going to pray that God will love you enough to take this away. Right. Mm. Cause Mm -hmm. Not every medical condition gets healed, Paul, thorn in the flesh, right? I mean, I think there's always healing, but there's not always cures as the world sees them, right? And so, you know, all these things that I think that people know, but people don't know, and and people really are sincerely trying to love one another, usually, as best they can. And sometimes our best is formed by our wounds and our brokenness more than by the wholeness of the gospel. And so it just was this really beautiful... um, moment in the church. And I was really privileged to watch really, um, the church be pastored by, you know, um, this member of the church, which is as it should be, right? Like we all have these opportunities to form the culture and our communities and to lead. And so it's really great. I also, um, was tagged in the post 
Sky has like literally one zillion trillion friends. So every single, <laughs> every single thing that anyone says or likes or posts like pings on my phone. Um, and and that's what, and I also am like totally paranoid about like what, what's going to happen. Anyway, so well, I'm thinking about. I, I just want to say something about what, what I love about that is that it does help the congregation mature. Yeah. It helps the congregation to grow in love. Mm-hmm. And it's a really beautiful thing. I, I really get jazzed about seeing individuals grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But what's even more exciting to me is when you have this sense of a congregation growing. Right. That, that's really fantastic and really right. beautiful. Right. And I think, I mean, it's this interesting line because, again, I don't feel like it's any individual's responsibility to use their, you know, place of suffering level, or it's trial. Just what we do well, right? I mean, but I, do, I do just think we can't be. I think sometimes we get offended at other people for not knowing what we know. When, yeah. if we are a discipling community, mm-hmm. we should expect that. Yeah. Oh, people don't know this, and so mm-hmm. it's not. You know, it, it's not a meant to hurt me or to destroy me. And we just, and, and probably the we is, you know, you and I as leaders, you know, really just need to do a better job at teaching people the things that it's our job to teach them sure. instead of kind of, you know, clutching our pearls and sucking our teeth when people <laughs> have the wrong response in a moment of crisis or tragedy. Be like, well, of course you're going to have the wrong response because we as the church haven't been preparing you. And sometimes we've been so busy, you know, pushing a political agenda, or sometimes we've been so busy pushing a moral standard that we haven't had a chance to really get real about saying, like, let's talk about how do we be human in light of who Jesus is when things get hard and they don't go as planned. That We got to teach people how to do that because the culture won't, or the ways that the culture does are not always helpful. And we're in a culture that has no... We cannot deal with mystery in our culture, mm. obviously. Mm-hmm. And so people just want to like, I want a reason. I want to fix it. I want to move on. I want to, and you know, bearing with someone in a hard space requires being uncomfortable and mm-hmm. not having an easy answer and not, you know, and being able to listen and give what is asked instead of give what it would feel good to give. And so oh, that's so good. Anyway, yeah. it's just been, it is, I've been thinking about it a lot and, um, and how I'm learning from it and, um, inspired by it and grateful yeah. for my friend's generosity mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as he, you know, incorporates this yeah. in his life and is authentic. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm running out of voice, so we better. Okay. Well, let's talk about what we're preaching. Yes. You first. Um, we're preaching, I think we're going to On joy? Yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> 52 weeks of joy. Uh, Hebrews 12. Um, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Yep. Therefore, let us run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame. Um, so I have no idea what I'm going to do with this text, uh, but there, there's something about uh, Jesus enduring the cross for, it just says, for the joy set before him. And so I want to explore this week, as I study the text, what, what was the joy set before Jesus? It's for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So there's something there about Jesus' endurance. 
and the endurance that I'm supposed to have in making it through the struggles of this life. And something related to Jesus yeah. enduring the cross is supposed to uh, spur me on uh, to, uh, to, to endure. And uh, yeah. so that, that's... So I haven't studied the text, but that doesn't stop me from having an opinion. <laughs> Always. Love it. So, I mean, what I think is, I think for me, top of the head, it's... It's shalom, right? It's this idea that the joy set before Jesus is that Jesus can see that salvation is accomplished. And when we know that even in the midst of the mystery of the not yetness of broken creation, but that salvation is accomplished and shalom is restored. And that's the joy that is set before Jesus. That's the joy that makes the pain of the cross yeah. worth yeah. enduring, right? And I don't know, the thing that pops in my head, and this might be cheesy, don't use it, it's stupid, but like, I'm always... It's going to be good. It was, no, it's wait, not. Wait, it's stupid. With that? No, it's That's, stupid. Yeah. But I mean, I think about that scene in Chariots of Fire, which is a movie that white people love, right? So I... But, <laughs> but I mean, as somebody who, who runs, when I run, talking... I, I feel the Lord's pleasure, right? Yeah, yeah. And as somebody who runs and, and is talking to someone who struggles to run, right? I mean, that's part yes, of our friendship yes, yes. we used to run yeah. together. And But there is something about, like, when you run, it sucks. Yeah. Um, and then you... But you, you endure it because... There is something, I mean, we, the joke is like, I don't like running, but I like having run yeah. or like, and then it, as you continue to run, there comes a point where it, it doesn't, it, you know, yeah. there's a, just a pleasure in the discomfort. Yeah. And my friend Rebecca talks about, um, you know, if we can accept being uncomfortable mm. for a period of time, then there's literally nothing we yeah. can't, if we can endure discomfort, which Obviously, the cross is not discomfort. I'm not saying that. But I just, you know, no, just this idea right. that there can be a joy even in the midst of pain and suffering if we know that it's not wasted, right? And Jesus, who is, you know, the Word who was with God in the beginning, right? Like Jesus, who knew creation before the fall and so knows, you know, what restoration and reconciliation will be like don't you just think that's the joy that is before him is knowing that yes. this is the these are the death pangs but, of fallen yeah, but i just got something else and it's not a either or but it's an and yeah um but i think the the joy set before him is also love i'm i'm thinking about uh and when you mentioned chariots of fire and running what came to my mind was I remember when Matthew was first born and though that first year having to get up in the middle of the night yeah. and I did not like that, that right? But because of love and once, you know, the room is dark, I'm holding him, he's crying, I want to go back to bed and the thought came to me. He won't always be this size. Right. I won't always get to do right. this. Right. Right. And yeah. so that it's like, oh, well then I even in the discomfort, there there is this joy. Um, well, and I just I mean, I like one thing that God never ever said was all everything happens for a reason, right? So I don't believe that that's not scripture, but I do believe in the promise of Paul that all things work together for good. Mm. So part of it is I don't um I don't believe that God causes terrible things to happen, but I do 
believe in the audacious, offensively good promise that God redeems things and so that the loss and the evil and the suffering is not pointless, right? And that, you know, for the, the, the idea that the miracle and the mystery, that those things can be, you know, divinely recycled mm-hmm. into peace, mm-hmm. into joy, into mm-hmm. unity with God. Like that is worth enduring. Absolutely. You know, anyway, yeah. so. Yes, your voice is. <laughs> I'm trailing off. No, I know you're trailing, trailing off. So well, what are you preaching? Um, well, I'm going to say what I'm preaching, but I actually, I just want to tell another story. I should have told this with the astonishing thing, but I, I mentioned there's another um, family in the church this week that, um, their 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 house burned down this week, and um, my oldest daughter was helping. The last Sunday of every month, we collect the ten cents a meal offering at the Grove, which is the offering that leaves the church and goes actually to the Presbytery, and then gets used for hunger related issues in the um in the area, and and that's important to the Grove, and and it's an, and it's a way that we can be in solidarity with the larger Presbyterian community. So anyway, we do that, and and. On that last Sunday of the month, the children collect that offering. So the adults go through once with the brass plates, which goes to the church's mission. And then the kids go around a second time with wicker baskets, and that goes to 10 cents a meal. And I'd say like 80% of the time, we remember to tell the congregation that. So there's always a few people who are visiting that day and are like, greedy church, like coming back a second time. (laughs) Anyway, working on it. But my daughter um, was collecting the 10 cents a meal offering this week. And, um, you know, I I need to do a better job at... um, setting those kids up for success because, you know, they're not supposed to be looking at who puts what in the place, but they do because they're kids. And, and so my daughter came home to me and she's like, mommy, um, she said, you know, she was, she said, Miss Courtney's house burned down this week. And I said, I mean, yes. And she said, but she, she put in more money than anybody else Wow. in the basket. And I mean, Courtney would not have wanted anyone to notice that and what I mean, but like for me, like I just watching my daughter process that, right? And that, you know, we can preach all the sermons we want to about generosity. We can teach all the Sunday school lessons we want to about the economy of the kingdom of God, right? But for my little girl to get to see her sister in Christ live out her values yeah. in that moment. It's just this life-changing moment yeah. for my child wow. and what I'm so grateful for. Anyway, I just feel like since I, I, I'm astonished a lot at just yeah. how beautifully, intentionally, bravely, sacrificially people are yeah. living out their yeah. faith yeah, in good. really difficult yeah, circumstances. Um, and I, I just... I felt like I need to lift that up too because it's just wow. really beautiful. Um, on Sunday, I'm preaching about uh, the the passage and we're doing the farewell discourse in Lent and uh, Jesus moves on to talk about if the world hates you, it hates me also. It's really sense the world hates you, right? Like, um, And I think the question for us as a congregation is, you know, what if the world doesn't hate us? Like we're so scared of like, oh gosh, I don't want the world to hate me. That sounds terrible. Um, but I think the thing we ought to be more frightened of is you know, what if the culture doesn't hate us? What if we just fit in seamlessly? What does it mean um, to be part of um, a tradition that is being, I think, misused um, to do some really destructive and and um, 
self-empowering things in the world, right? Like, so I just, I, I want to think about that, like, you know, especially we've been talking so much about love one another. Mm. And, and I think we have this fundamental expectation that like, well, if what we're really trying to do is love one another, then everybody's just going to love and admire us all the time. And so that's not true. Um, I have another friend who talks about like, man, everybody wants to talk about how King said, you know, I'm going to stick with love because hate is too, you know, big a burden to bear. But, you know, obviously people still want, still killed him, right? <laughs> like Jesus yeah. wasn't crucified for being nice, right? Yeah. So, so this kind of love that we're called to really does challenge um, powers and principalities and and the way things are and um, what what happens. How do we do that from a place of love and humility and upbuilding, yeah. um, and not you know self-aggrandizement or um, profiteering, and and really just to look critically about like are there ways that we're out of step? And I feel like sometimes the church talks about that um, in marketplace Christianity, and it's sort of like you know this the the subtext for me is like you should be gooder than your neighbors, like you should be more pure and more holy and more healthy, and your house should be neater, and your you know the wife should be thinner, and your kids should be better behaved, right? That's not what it's talking about, right? It's talking about you take stands that threaten other people's sense of who they are, not because you're trying to do that, but anyway, so that's what I'm preaching on this week. Well, if we fit too much into the culture, my mind immediately goes to uh, those seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation where Jesus says, well, you know, you do this well, but I have this against uh, yeah. you. And yeah. that, that line, I have this against you, just <gasps> what? I mean, that ought to get our attention. And if we're fitting into the culture, yeah, you better believe there's a there's a divine, I have this against you. Right. And I think like uh, one thing that just... You know, we are so used to thinking that we're God's extra special favoritist, right? Mm-hmm. Especially living in a post-Christendom culture, like we're the ones who go to church on Sunday instead of going to brunch. So like we are Jesus's favorite. And so the idea that, you know, and this is hard when you're leading a church through transformation, when you want to say to them, like, I love you and God loves you. And there are things here that are not healthy and that are not, you know, building up the kingdom and that are not in line with the gospel. And and people, and I understand this, they get so offended because they're doing what they've been taught to do and they're doing, they're being as good as they know how to be. Yes. And I, I think a, a transforming moment for me and for the Grove was preaching through those letters um, early on in our days of transformation and saying to people, look, you know, Jesus, when he wrote, you know, through the Spirit, those letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, these are people who literally were gathering in secret every moment willing to be arrested yes. and like gruesomely killed, right? Yes. Like that's what was at stake for those early churches. And if Jesus could write a letter to them yes. and say, I have this against you, then who do we think we are yeah. if we think that the Holy Spirit has nothing to say to us mm. about how we're living life together in the church, right? Like just that's the good. amount of hubris in that. Like so I but I think that's really helpful for people to be because because people do sincerely want to love Jesus. And so when when you talk to them about like, hey, we need to change in this way, what people essentially feel is like you're attacking my integrity or you're attacking whether or not I love Jesus. And I know I really love Jesus. And so to be able to say like, whether or not you really love Jesus and whether or not Jesus really loves you, that's not at stake. That's, that's not, not on the table. About. That's right. We're talking right. about what does it mean to be the church? And, and what how, does it mean to be faithful? Right. And how can we continue to let the Holy Spirit yeah. teach us what that looks mm-hmm. like instead of the culture or other voices yes. or our comfort zone That's or whatever. Good. So anyway, I think we're done. 
Well, before we go, let's uh, uh, give a quick shout oh, yeah. out to our colleague and friend. Our um, favorite listener. Yes. <laughs> Meg, uh, Meg Shaw Skidmore, uh, thank you for your comments about the podcast. Really appreciate your comments and your listening. No, it's right. really, really encouraging. We're yeah. grateful. Thanks.